0: and thank you to those who put that together and I understand the children can go for their time church time so I encourage you to uh, just make your way and my name is Rick Buck and I have the privilege of being the regional director of Feb Central and thank you to Nate for asking me to come on your 80th anniversary what an awesome time of remembering God's amazing grace and mercy to the Nolwood family and I'm honored to, to be here on behalf of Feb Central. You're part of a, a family of churches across Canada, and uh, you're part of the Feb Central region, which is almost 280 churches. And uh, it really is my honor to represent that 280 churches and to say happy anniversary. Uh, You look way better than 80 years old. I want you to know that. So uh, you're looking good. So, well, actually, that's not true, too, because I can't see all of you. You've got your masks on, but uh, I'm sure you're looking great for 80 years of age. And uh, we are thankful for your prayers and your partnership in these challenging days as we've Attempted to, to serve and support our churches and our three central priorities, values as a Feb Central region, we're committed to coming alongside our churches, helping them with church planting, helping them with leadership development, and helping them with church health. And it's our privilege to do that through some pretty incredible days that you've faced and all of our churches have been challenged with across our country. You know, church anniversaries are a great time, are they not? To stop, as you have just done, and give thanks for God's incredible faithfulness in the past. It's also a time to reflect on what it means to thrive as Christ's church in the future, right? And Jesus said he will build his church. Isn't that good news? That's great news. And he can continue to do his great work here in the Knollwood Church church family and through the Knollwood church family. And we're grateful for that. Let me ask you this question. What will it look like for Knollwood to be a healthy, God-honoring church in the days to come? That's a great question, isn't it? If you could dream a little bit, what would be the kinds of qualities, the kinds of characteristics that would mark your church more deeply in the days to come? You know, some people, when they think about the church, they think of it in terms of it being an organization, you know, the building, and you've got a a beautiful building, and they think of it in terms of programs, and we've struggled under COVID to be able to run programs, right? Uh, Policies, they think of the structures and the forms and the methods that churches use, the services, the music. We had great music today, and the worship and preaching of God's word. They think of the various events, that are often put on through the church. And of course, these are important. These are significant uh, things. It's important for a good church to have healthy methods and good structures and a a tool building to use for God-honoring services. Those are all important. But according to Scripture, the church is way more than an organization. It's actually, according to the Bible, a spiritual organism the very dwelling place of the God of the universe. You, the people of God, are a temple for the very presence and power of God to work first in you and then through you. Isn't that incredible? The central mark of a truly God-honoring church, then, is not simply the events we run or the structures, or the buildings, or any of that. It's not the organization. It's the sense of the presence and the power of the living Christ through the Spirit of God moving and working in our lives and through our lives. It is the Spirit working first in my life, then through me, to be a witness to our church, to our world, sorry, of the beauty and the treasure of who Jesus Christ is. As you know, the early church was not apathetic uh, or distracted about their mission. They had a very clear sense of focus on glorifying God by sharing the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ with their world. This small band of believers in the initial chapters of the book of Acts were actually accused of turning the world upside down through their witness for Christ. Think about that. Lacking almost every single advantage that we all enjoy here today, they were identified as world changers. How did that happen? Why did it happen? And what did it look like? Well, I think God gives us a little snapshot of of what marked this thriving on-fire church. And really, there are the evidences of, of, of how God's power and presence works, but they're also the means by which God reveals himself in our midst. So I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, if you haven't already done that, and I'm going to invite you to stand with me, would you, as I read these verses from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and just a little snapshot of the church as it's birthed, and we'll be talking about this passage this morning. Fall long as I read from Acts 2, 42 to 47. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that your Holy Spirit is our teacher today. May our hearts be open and soft to receive, to listen, to hear, to have ears to hear, eyes to see, and may you, by your Spirit, work out your purposes in each one of our lives. And in this church family, Knowwood, as they celebrate their 80th anniversary, May you be glorified in a greater way and may good come to this church family and this community through the gospel of Jesus Christ going out from here, impacting the lives of men, women, young people, and children. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, You may be seated. And of course, every passage of Scripture has a context, and this one does as well. And as you know, in Acts chapter 2, the gift of the Holy Spirit had been given at Pentecost. And Peter had just finished preaching a message focused on the person and the work of Jesus Christ here in this passage in Acts 2. And literally thousands of people professed faith and turned in faith to Jesus Christ, repented of their sin, and turned to Jesus, and the infant church was born. And this new movement of God began, of God's spirit. What made it so impacting? Again, it's, I think, summed up in this phrase, the presence and the power of God himself. Here's The main idea here this morning, the Spirit's authentic, transforming presence and power created this new community of people that were hungry to live on mission. And this passage shows us what this looks like. It really does. What are the characteristics? What does that look like for this church family, Nolwood, on their 80th anniversary? Well, let's move our way through the passage and just see. It first of all looks like this. It looks like being committed to God's voice above all others. Notice verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, in the sheer mass of voices coming out at them from their world and their culture, the early church wanted more than anything else to listen to and respond to God's voice. The term apostles' teaching uh, included the, all the, the learning and the passing on of all that Jesus had taught them as well as the teaching attached to the mission and the life of the church as taught by the apostles. Essentially, if you will, it was what makes up the New Testament. Jesus had promised his disciples, he had told them in John chapter 16, that that the Spirit would guide them into all truth and bring glory to Jesus Christ. And that happened, and we were given the gift of what we call today the New Testament. The verb here translated devoted has this idea of continual, single-minded commitment to something, to a particular task. And so they were devoted, it says, to this teaching, to this word from God, this revelation from God. If you will, they, they came at God's voice with priority and with passion. It wasn't just checking a box. It wasn't about saying, well, I've I've read this chapter or these verses. No, it was about, God, we want to encounter you. We want to know you. We want to be changed by you. By your word. Remember, Jesus said, we humans can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, God's word is literally our spiritual food. We can't be what God wants us to be outside of his word, outside of his voice. Of course, the Bible describes itself in many different images, not just as spiritual food but as a spiritual weapon, the sword of the Spirit. It describes itself as a light to guide us, a medicine to heal us. On and on I could go. It's, it's, we need the word of God, like we need the air, food, and water that we intake to live. Why is this? Why? Because according to God's own word, It is the primary tool by which God imparts to us his presence and his power. It is how God himself works first in us and then through us. It's how we meet with God face to face. I had a professor at at Bible college who used to say, every time you open your Bible, you're coming face to face with God. It's this opportunity to meet and encounter God's presence and His power and to be changed by that. Howard Hendricks writes, shortly after I became a Christian, someone wrote in the flyleaf of my Bible these words. This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. That was true then, and it's still true today, he says. Dusty Bibles always lead to dirty lives. That's a great image. In fact, he went on to say, in fact, you're either in the Word and the Word is conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ, or you are in the world and the world is squeezing you into its mold. (laughs) What's he saying? What's he talking about? Folks, you have voices that are coming at you all day long that are shaping your life. Whether you fully are conscious of it, know it, life, I often say, is caught, not simply taught. We are being shaped all day long, on the radio voices, the TV, the media, your parents, your teachers, on and on we could go. There's these voices all coming at you. It's not a question of if you are being shaped by these voices. It's a question of which voices are doing the shaping. And God says that he wants his voice to be above all the other voices. The most important voice conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. You know, most of us have more Bibles, right, than we know what to do with here in the West. But it's so easy to take God's Word for granted. And not to give ourselves to listening and encountering the God of the Word, and to really meet with God and with priority and passion to pursue listening to His voice and responding to His voice by His grace and strength. Robert Sumner tells a true story of a man in Kansas City who was severely injured in an explosion. This man had lost his eyesight as well as both of his hands in this explosion. He was just a a new Christian, and one of his greatest disappointments was that he could no longer read his Bible. And he heard about a lady in England who read Braille with her lips. And so hoping to do the same, he sent for some books of the Bible in Braille, but he soon discovered That The nerve endings in his lips had been so damaged by the explosion, he could not read the Braille with his lips. And then one day, as he brought one of the Braille pages to his lips, his tongue happened to touch a few of the raised characters, and he could feel them. And like a flash, he thought, I can read the Bible using my tongue. And at the time that Sumner wrote this story, this man had read through the entire Bible four times with his tongue. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that an example of someone who wants to know God with priority and passion, not checking a box? God, I want to know you. I want to hear from you. And I want to be changed by you. On this anniversary Sunday, My prayer for you, Knowwood family, is that God would give you all this renewed passion and priority both personally, individually, and together to pursue this greater experience of the presence and the power of the living God through his word, through his word. So it looks like wanting To hear the voice of God. It looks like being committed to God's voice above all others. But secondly, it looks like being committed to a Christ-like love for one another. Notice what the text says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine or teaching and to the fellowship. And then the the rest of the text goes on to detail what that fellowship, what that sense of community looked like. Under COVID, we've been frustrated by the fact that we couldn't meet, right? And it's so wonderful. On your anniversary, you could come here together and meet. But you notice in this text, they didn't meet once a week. They met every day they were meeting. In the temple courts and in their homes, they were meeting constantly. That's how passionate they were about this fellowship, this obvious sense of oneness, care, sharing, marked these early believers. They knew what it was to have genuine fellowship in Christ. They looked to the needs of others, not just their own needs. The text says they spent quality and quantity time with one another. They ate together in friendship. They even liquidated their assets in order to make sure everyone had their needs met. Now, some people have suggested that the early church here practiced a kind of Christian communism or common ownership. But that actually isn't accurate. If you look at verse 46, you'll notice they sold their possessions. There's a recognition in the text. They owned their private homes. They, they had private property. They actually liquidated their possessions. It's acknowledging their ownership of those things. This wasn't some kind of... External pressure by the church to make a vow of poverty or to give everything to the church. That's not what this was. There was no law that was created by the church. Everybody come and bring all their possessions. Nothing like that. This was just an incredibly generous spirit and an eternal perspective That all this stuff is passing away and God, we want to invest it in eternal things and people. No, no methodology or technique or law will create this. This happens when God reveals himself. It's from the inside out, not the outside in that this is created. This is about God pouring out his love in the hearts of his people. And it happens when Christians know Christ deeply, and seek to pursue being like him. Remember what Jesus said, they'll know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. I know the recent events here in London tell us that this world of ours, is beautiful but broken world desperately needs to see this in action. No one needs to be part of the solution, showing the world this incredible kind of love that God has poured out on us in his son and give it away to others, right? On this anniversary Sunday, my prayer for you is that God would give you all this renewed passion and priority personally and together corporately to pursue this greater experience of God's presence and power through seeing his amazing love in his son, savoring it, drinking deeply of it, and then giving it away to others. May God do a great work. Here's the third one in this text. It looks like being committed to a passionate worship of God's greatness and goodness. Notice again, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And then it goes on to say that they were breaking bread and having prayers together, worship services together in their homes, in the temple courts. They were meeting for teaching the word of God and for responding to God. They weren't just playing Sunday Christianity. This was like 24-7 relationship. Respond to the goodness, the greatness of God and His Son. Oh God, you are so amazing. This is a whole life of gratitude to the Lord. In fact, verse 47 says they were praising God constantly. Praising Him. Again, whether in the temple or in their homes... Their approach to God was real, it was deep, it was joyful. They engaged together and worshiped spontaneously. It wasn't manufactured, it was coming from the core of their hearts, erupting out of the fullness of the joy of the Lord's amazing grace toward them. Have you ever noticed that when you see something really good that is valued you, you want to respond to that. You have a great meal. You have, uh, I don't know, it's a great book. What do you want to do? You want to thank the person who cooked the meal. You want to tell someone else, so-and-so is just an amazing cook. Uh, it's a great book. You want to refer it to someone else. There's this need when you experience something genuinely to want to share it, to respond in gratitude, and to share it with others. Have you noticed that? When you understand what God has done in his son Jesus Christ through the cross, through the resurrection, in the giving of the spirit of Christ, there's this ample reason to respond with awe and with joy. In scripture, people are changed when they meet with God. They never leave the same. When they, when they encounter God and his glory and his goodness and his greatness, they're impacted by that and they want to respond to God and they want to share it with other people. One of the key evidences of the filling of the Holy Spirit according to Scripture is this, uh, uh, this spontaneous and authentic and joyful adoration of God. God. Ephesians 5 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, thank you. Life, breath, everything else comes from you. You are the giver of physical life. You're the giver of spiritual life. That's a gift from you. And on top of all of that, you give us Jesus. You give us everything. And when we're truly controlled by the Spirit, Ephesians 5 says, what marks our life is this gratitude attitude. And it just is something we want to respond back to God with and share with others. A number of years ago, there was a woman in Kansas City who walked into an ice cream shop and while waiting, this is again a true story, supposedly she turned to find the actor Paul Newman. Now, some of you folks don't know who Paul Newman is, many of you do, but it'd be like uh, today's terms, Brad Pitt, maybe, I don't know. Uh, they're standing behind her, this actor, Paul Newman. Paul Newman. He was in town filming a movie at the time and he smiled at her and said, hello. And she took one look at his legendary blue eyes and her knees almost buckled. She tried to speak, but not a sound came out of her mouth. She paid for her ice cream and then she quickly walked out of the store somewhat embarrassed and as she calmed down, she realized she didn't have her ice cream cone with her. So she was debating whether she would walk back into the store to get it when Paul Newman came and walked out of the store. And he said to her, Are you looking for your ice cream cone? Speechless again, she nodded. He said, You put it in your purse with your change. <laughs> Isn't it funny how we react to famous people and all of that kind of thing, right, in this culture. And yet, have you ever noticed how ho-hum it can be to come into the very presence of the God of the universe? When's the last time I was speechless in the face of God's incredible goodness and greatness in his son, Jesus Christ? God, forgive me. On this anniversary Sunday, my prayer for you is that God would give you this renewed passion and priority personally, again corporately together, to pursue this greater experience of God's presence, His power, responding to His goodness and greatness in His Son, in worship. Grateful worship. And finally, the evidence of God's presence and power from this passage looks like being committed to reaching out to the world and witness. And you notice it at the very end of the text. Not only were they praising God and having favor with all the people, it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Jesus, you remember, If you know the book of Acts, in Acts 1 8, had commanded them to go into the whole world and be his witnesses. And it was happening. It was happening. People were coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And they didn't go promoting their own agendas, their own causes, their own labels, their own preferences. They were not lobbying for a denominational loyalty to belong to Feb Central or the fellowship or to some political agenda. More than anything else, they were just pointing people to the real answer Jesus Christ. His eternal, life-changing forgiveness and salvation. All of God's gifts are beautiful but broken. But the gift of God himself in the person of Jesus Christ and all that he accomplished in salvation, in eternal life, is beautiful and unbroken. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is the inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade you see it? Their job was not to create the harvest. Rather, it was to plant the seeds, to point to Jesus, to point away from themselves and to tell about Jesus. And God, who is the giver of physical life and spiritual life, will create that life using his people. God uses means. He uses tools and instruments and people. But it's his work in and through us. Do you see it? It's his work. And so they did this. The evidence that God's spirit was in their midst was that every day, imagine that every day, people could see and hear about the living Christ through their lives. And by the power of God's spirit People embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior. And again, notice the underscoring. It's the Lord who added to the church. The Lord did this. We're involved, but we are only channels. It must be about him in and through us. Again, folks, on this anniversary, 80th anniversary Sunday, my prayer for you is that God would give you this renewed passion, this renewed priority personally and again corporately together to pursue this greater experience of God's presence and power by sharing Jesus Christ everywhere you go here and around the world to see others come to know Jesus. The key ingredient and marks and evidences of a thriving church are revealed by God himself in this little snapshot picture of the church as it was birthed. When God's presence and power manifest itself in a local church, God's people are committed Right to knowing and living out the word of God, committed to an authentic love for each other, committed to this passionate worship of God, and committed to an intentional witness to and for the living Christ. Here's the the interesting part. The early church had none of the secrets of success that seem so important to our culture today, sometimes even to the church. Yet they turned their world upside down. How? They were distributors of the Spirit's power and presence. They weren't creating anything, they were channels, they were conduits through which God could work through them. Do you see it? And so they saw, and they savored, and they shared the greatness and the goodness of God in his son, Jesus Christ. They owned no property. They had no influence or power in government, although some Christians would love to have that today. They had little in terms of wealth. Most of their people were of a humble social class. Their leaders were ordinary people without special education. They had a handful of people who had education. They had a Few people of social influence. They didn't even have mass media. Can you imagine that? They didn't have Zoom. Or live streaming. They didn't, I would suggest to you, friends, and and I'm a leader who believes in planning, and, and I would suggest to you that they didn't even have a clearly spelled out strategic plan and yet their ministry spread throughout the known world in a deep and transforming way. How? Why? God. His presence and power through His Spirit holding up the treasure and beauty of the living Christ. Do you see it? (laughs) They drank deeply of Jesus and shared Him with others. And so, the big idea this morning is this. The early church understood that it was not about working for God, but God working for them, first in them and then through them. That's my prayer for you, that God would do an even greater work in you and then through you for his glory and the good of many beyond number. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this Celebration of your faithfulness to the Knollwood Church family. You are kind. You are gracious. And in the face of our inadequacies, we acknowledge you are completely adequate. In your Son, through your Spirit, thank you for the promise that you will build your church, and not even the gates of hell will stand up against that. Lord, I pray that these folks here would have a renewed priority and passion to be channels and conduits through which you work first in them and then through them to grow your church for your glory and the good of others. Use them. Do a great work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.